Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm Laura Gregg, and I'm joined with my co-host, David Partain. Hello, David. Hello, Laura. Excited about today's podcast. I am as well. For our regular listeners, you know that the Flexible Advisor seeks to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or grow their businesses, all while deepening client relationships. Today, we're going to drive further into how advisors are gaining efficiencies with our guest, and we'll be sharing some insights from our recent Race to Scalability study. Well, Laura has managed the Scalability Advisor Research Program now for over a decade, and it dives deep into the important decisions that advisors make on how to deliver their investment management. While most advisors keep the function in-house, many fully outsource it to a third-party manager, and many more even take a hybrid approach. There are many reasons why advisors choose investment partners, and today we'll be speaking with Paul Binion, Chief Revenue Officer of Hanlon Investment Management, to better understand what outsourced solutions providers are offering their advisor clients. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thank you, David. Laura, appreciate it. It's great to have you. So let's start by having you give us a little bit of, about your journey and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, David, I'll give you the quick version because the long version is a long version. Um, <laughs> spent the last 30, 31 years of my career uh, merging the passion I have in talking and working with advisors to helping them scale uh, and helping them with many of the things mentioned in the uh, Race of Scalability study. Mm. 27 of those 31 years was spent with one firm, Clark Capital Management, where I had a number of different roles, the most recent probably being talking with advisors and getting them and their clients to understand, again, many of the things you talk about in your in your study. Uh, more recently in the past year, I have been with Hanlon Investment Management, as you mentioned, as the acting chief revenue officer, which is a big title for someone who basically heads sales and actually <laughs> works with advisors and my team in working with advisors and their clients. Paul, when we spoke recently, you began the discussion by talking about the difference of the terms interested and interesting. And that really struck a chord for me. You related it to how advisors interact with their clients and why one versus the other can have a huge impact on a client relationship. I'm hoping that you can share your insights on that topic with our audience today. Yeah, my pleasure, Laura. Uh, I'm a disciple of the Dan Sullivan Strategic Coach Schooling. I was in the program for a number of years, and one of the very interesting concepts coming out of that program was this idea, is it, is it more uh, important to be interested or interesting? On the surface, they sound very much alike, maybe what some people would call semantics, but they're really very different. When you are interesting, it's very much about you. You're telling stories about your childhood, people are laughing, and if you're good at it, you're engaging, and it's engaging, and it's very much a salesperson personality trait. But it is, again, all about you. It has nothing to do with the person or the group you're talking with. Being interested is the exact opposite. 
it's more about listening. It's a lot less about talking. Uh, it's about showing some serious concern and empathy towards someone. We find that advisors who are interested are much more likely to succeed in today's ever-changing world with the baby boomers than someone who has all the great, interesting stories about 30 years in the business. I think that dovetails well on the marketing concepts that David and I try to follow. I remember years ago working on pitch books for sales folks and the first five slides of the deck were all about the company, all about our expertise, our years in the business, nothing about what the client might want or need. And that focus on clients, I think, is so critically important to, to build those lasting relationships everybody's looking for. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I have intentionally, Laura, spent the last 25 years of my career uh, being a player coach, which is just speak for someone who not only sits and helps make policy decisions on how things should be run, but probably as important, maybe even more important, I'm actually talking to advisors and clients. So it's not the ivory tower. I, I find, uh, and this is not uh, to condemn anybody or the industry, but I find a lot of firms are talking from studies and, and not necessarily from real life experience. One of the key ingredients in our success and my success personally and business-wise has been uh, spending a considerable amount of time with baby boomers and talking about the angst and the worries they go through. Um, so if we're going to talk about advisors and partnering with advisors, we certainly have to understand the end user audience and what they want. And we have to understand them not from a mathematical or quantitative standpoint. We have to understand them from a psychological standpoint. So behavioral finance is a major interest to me personally and to what we're doing at Hanlon, because without understanding the psychology of wealth, the more money you have, oftentimes the more uncomfortable you are with it, you really fail at trying to succeed with this audience. You know, and those are hard discussions to have. I know throughout the the 10 years we've been conducting the survey, we've asked advisors what they want from their outsourced investment providers. And Fairly low on the list has been access to financial planning services, which I really think is a cornerstone to building those fantastic client relationships. And I gathered from our conversation that a key differentiator that you and Hanlon offers your clients is that planning aspect. Can you tell us about how this works and how you collaborate with your advisor clients on it? Yes. Uh, one of my uh, favorite speakers of all time is a gentleman by the name of Simon Sinek, who is uh, known for writing a best-selling book called Start With Why and his uh, TED Talk. In that TED Talk and in that book, there's a lot of great information. But one of the things that really jumped out at me and folks I work with was this concept. People buy don't buy what you do and how you do it. They buy why you do it. Bottom line is uh, no one really cares how you manage money. No one really cares about market attribution or your portfolio attributions or market movements. They really don't. Uh, they, they feign interest, but they're not that. What they really want to know is why. Why should I care? Why is this important to me? That, those kind of things. And I think that's what planning does. So we as a firm at Hanlon have moved more to a planning mindset. Uh, ironically, or maybe appropriately, Sean Hanlon, the chief executive officer and founder of Hanlon, is a certified financial planner, CFP. So we're trying to bring a, a connection of money management and planning together. And the reason we're trying to do this, Laura, 
is the number one reason in your study of the five major drivers for external investment management, which is time management, leverage. We'd also throw a couple other words in there, collaboration and coordination. So it's uh, planning is really important to us, but planning without execution is just an idea and execution without planning is just foolish. So now I know that when my wife says I'm an interesting person, that I'm actually talking too much about me, that it's all about <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave, so, the first time I heard that question asked, I, I literally thought, well, they're the exact same thing. What is this a trick? What were they, and then when they explained, I was like, oh my goodness, they couldn't be any more different if you tried. No, it, it's it's true. I really like that because interesting can take so many different forms and to put it in that context, that was really great. All right. So let's dive a little bit into the weeds specifically going back to the last question. How does that work with an advisor's say money guide pro plan and who are you working with on your client's team to actually ensure that the integration is customized appropriately? It would be ignorant of us, David, to believe that Advisors don't do planning and don't do income planning specifically. They do. Uh, our experience shows us that most advisors' income planning is often done on a legal pad, 8 by 14 legal pad, yellow. That's fantastic. It, it, is, it is a good way of communicating and illustrating, but it's not legally allowed to be given to a client. So we wouldn't consider that a plan. The more advanced version of that would be the Money Guide Pros, the uh, the uh, eMoney, the Allbridge, the Nava plans, where you know there is actually a plan. Unfortunately, what's happening is, uh, and I think this is an issue that's uh, this the planning community is facing, is oftentimes the real good information takeaways is being buried in the delivery of the plan. It's almost like the plan is more important than the information in it. Because of that, it's 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 like tell me one thing and you just told them eight things. And because of that, they can't process any. Uh, remembering, we live in a world now where we're literally processing hundreds of thousands of bits of information a day. Right now, the biggest single issue we have in our lives is, is processing information, not getting it. The Money Guide Pro and the other, the Money's one that do a fantastic job of creating very, very detailed output. We would argue that perhaps it's too much information. We would argue that we're talking to a husband and wife in their 50s or 60s who are very vulnerable and very concerned and scared. They don't want all that information the way it's being delivered necessarily. They don't need, they don't need reams and reams of Excel spreadsheets to show them. They don't necessarily need the Monte Carlo simulations to be done. What they just want to know is, am I okay? So what it's done, David, it's actually ironically thrown the advisor into a role that they may not have been, ever been in. Uh, never in our history as a country have we ever needed financial advisors more than today because of that noise and information. So when we just create more noise and more information, but we make it quote unquote personalized, I don't, I'm not sure that's actually solving the problem. I think it, if anything, it may actually be adding to it. So what we've done is we've actually taken uh, a lot of time in trying to deliver only what we think would be relevant, acceptable, and process processable to the client. Because if you can't process it, you're not going to act on it. If you don't act on it, what's the point? That's that's really interesting. I've used the analogy about how the business has changed as I've been in over 30 years. And really a lot of these uh, advisors got in it to be a math teacher. And now all of a sudden they're an art teacher, so to speak. And so 
in our recent FlexShares race to scalability research, the number one reason that advisors outsource, they say, is to find more time in their day. Do you find that to be true? Is that the overarching reason they come to Hanlon or are there other key drivers? Yeah, great, great question. And absolutely, I think it's a, a, a if it's not number one, it's certainly number two. I had a call this morning with a firm out of Wisconsin and the advisor who was pleading our case for a selling agreement with the uh, with the firm, that was his number one thing. I, I have 700 clients, actually 500, I believe he said. I can't do this. It's, it's becoming overwhelming. The other factor here, David, is that if you look at the demographic of the advisor community, majority over 50 years of age, I'm over 50. I can tell you out of personal experience, I would like to have the best time balance. It, uh, money becomes less important, time becomes more important. So, uh, so advisors are dealing with the exact same thing. They, they want to help, they want to bring value, but they're only going to invest a certain amount of time. They're not 30, they're not gonna work 15 hours, 16 hour days. So they are finding ways and trying to find ways to leverage time. So I'm not saying literally, literally they're gonna work eight hour days and just call it quits. They wanna work 14, but they want someone else to work six of that 14 for them. And that's that power of leverage. That's the power of one plus one equaling 11, not two. There's been studies and concepts and papers written about that idea. Uh, but that is the number one thing we're seeing. Free up time in my practice. Let me do either other things or also inside the practice. Let me do what's really relevant. What advisors are realizing, David, right now is what's relevant isn't managing money. Okay, you could buy index funds. You don't have to manage it. Uh, asset allocation is being given away for free. So that's not the value add. The value add is actually listening to the client's needs and empathizing and being the trusted advisor that they want in their lives at this point. That's the key. And the only way to do that is to free up your time and get rid of the other ancillary things that need to be done. So outsourcing yeah. has become very, very important. I am curious, Paul, with your, your passion around the behavioral aspect, are you able to help coach some of the advisor clients of Hanlon and help them become better at listening and being interested? Absolutely, with the help of folks like Northern Trust, because it's these white papers like Race to Scalability that allows us to have the empirical information to back up the idea. So when I walk into uh, an advisor's office and say, I want to be your partner, Laura, and they look at me like, okay, sales pitch, I get it. And then they see after a while that it's legitimately real. And then they see studies like this Race to Scalability and say, I, this is me, it makes them more coachable. It makes us more credible. Interesting, I spend most of my day coaching, and it's not outward coaching. We don't charge for coaching. We don't hold ourselves out as coaches, but it's, it's a little bit of mentoring. It's a lot of listening. It's a little bit of talking, and it's certainly connecting and, and empathizing with what they're going through, advisors are going through, and having them understand that you truly are trying to partner. So yeah, there is coaching in it. There's absolutely coaching. There's a lot more coaching than selling. By the way, another great concept I learned, and this is from another, so this is my third introduction of someone in, influential in my life. Uh, Doug Carter wrote a book called Clients Forever. In the book, Doug writes about concept, the difference between enrolling and selling. Again, on the surface level, I was like, they kind of sound like the same thing, but they could be no more different because selling is when people buy for your reasons. So good salespeople are people who pitch well, and it's like, wow, you're really good. You convinced me. You, you, know, you got me. Enrolling is the exact opposite. 
Enrolling is when people buy for their own reasons. It's it's when you give people reason. So enrolling means information. It means coaching. It means mentoring. So I think uh, in my past personal life of coaching my two children in sports like lacrosse and basketball and soccer, uh, it gave me an insight into I could actually kick a soccer ball for them, but better yet, I could actually show them how to kick a soccer ball. And that's what I've done most of my career. The last two firms I've been with, Clark Capital and Hanlon, I feel these firms are very much in line with coaching and mentoring than they are selling anything to anybody. I think that's a it's a true value and probably what the clients are seeking from from advisors, right? Is that coaching, that mentoring, at least I know I am. <laughs> you know, in our in our race to scalability study, we speak to advisors who are currently outsourcing investment management and also those that keep all of the investment functions in-house. And what we found uh, this time is that 100% of those advisors that manage investments fully in-house are outsourcing at least one other thing, if not more. You know, it's that time thing. So not surprisingly, a majority of advisors, 60% in our study, we found are outsourcing technology. And it feels kind of like the pandemic has hurried us all along into improving our digital footprints. And I'm wondering what you and Hanlon have been seeing with the advisors you serve as it relates to that digital footprint. Well, absolutely, Laura. It's, you know, we have everything from the simplistic, the acceptance of a video conferencing from an audience who probably was terrified to do it, uh, including myself, perhaps people's willingness to establish and maintain relationships virtually versus in person has allowed us to be much more efficient. We don't have to spend time commuting on both sides, the client. I absolutely believe that you'd be lying, I think, to yourself as an advisor if you didn't say you're outsourcing something to your point. And, And technology is the obvious because technology is what is in everyone's line of sight. We only have a certain range of sight, right? It's it's our eyes. We're not an owl. We you know we don't have that kind of peripheral vision that a, a lot of animals have. So we're usually looking at what's in right in front of us. What's right in front of us right now in every publication, every article, and every conversation is technology. How are you leveraging technology? It isn't. Uh, and by the way, technology is one of those things that the advisor can't can't insource. Advisors are not going to start writing their own programs for CRM client relationship management system, but they can absolutely manage money and pretend they can manage money in-house by buying a bunch of index funds. So I think what's happened is because technology is much more complicated and certainly more involved, it gets outsourced almost immediately. Uh, I think the thing that gets outsourced last is the investment management. And I think it's done for one major reason. I think there's a lot of advisors still, Laura, who believe that if they outsource money management, they won't have a value proposition. I've actually had that question asked of me. So, Paul, if you do this, what is my value to the client? And I sit there and I kind of look and I'm thinking, wow, you think your value is really managing the money. They could go to Vanguard and do it for eight basis points. That's not your value. Your value is they trust you on some level to handle things for them. So, But again, I think the outsourcing of investment management has come last because, again, it's considered to be simpler. It's considered to be, by many, to be paramount. Everything else they can outsource because the client really doesn't see it. It doesn't feel it, but that's changing. Your study has pointed that out that the other top five drivers for using external investment managers, they're tied around product and uh, uh, institutional monitoring. And, and some of that 
management. So you are starting to see acceleration of outsourcing of that money management, which is where we come in. Uh, ironically, we outsource money management ourselves. We, we are a manager of managers. We're a platform of other managers, Northern Trust being a major component of our, of our platform. We used to manage our own money internally, and that's all we did. So we're, we were a victim of our own, of what we're talking about right here. We evolved. Our point is if we can evolve, pretty much anybody can evolve. You know, I think it's kind of also the way people grow up in the business. And, you know, we've already talked about the average age of the financial advisor being in their fifties uh, and 30 years ago, it was all about investment management. You were buying stocks and bonds and putting together the 60, 40 portfolios. But, you know, over time, clients are demanding so much more from their advisors. They want that holistic thing. They want help with college planning and elder care planning, and the list goes on and on. Early, we started running this survey in, in 2009, we fielded it, we published in 2010. I think in 2012 or 2014, we carved out a section of the survey because we found that so many advisors who were kind of on the fence about whether or not they should outsource some of their investment management. And again, the, the number one objection was, this is core to my value proposition. My clients wouldn't like it. They wouldn't trust me. They wouldn't trust anybody but me. So we carved out a section of the survey back then. And what we found out was the exact opposite. The clients didn't care who was managing their money as long as it was being managed. And if that meant they could spend more one-on-one -on -one time with their advisors, all the better. You know, I think we still struggle with that. You know, one of the things we've seen in the research is that way back when it seemed like it was an all or nothing proposition, but advisors are outsourcing some things, keeping others things in house, and it's really come a long way. And I think it's really a strategic decision these days uh, by advisors. I would, I would agree. In fact, in your study, you talk about the six main reasons why advisors don't use external investment managers. And the number one reason is that they think the investment research is a core part of their uh, value proposition. And the, la the lower, the last of the six was clients wouldn't like it. Expense was in there. And, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not valid. I'm not saying it doesn't come without reasoning. Uh, one of the excuses I've heard over the years is why I use, I outsourced it and, I, and it didn't do well. But then, of course, you ask them, well, what, when did you outsource? And they're like, well, 2007 to, to early 2009. I'm like, well, the U.S. stock market was on 50%. So did we factor that in? So I think part of it's timing. And I, I get why advisors hang on. I mean, the advisor community is as competitive as any community in the country as far as competition. So every advisor is looking for that, that secret sauce to make them more attractive. And, and there are a group, a, a dying group, a declining group that think it's still the money management. I've talked to firms actually have hired CFOs, portfolio managers, and CFAs in-house. What's interesting about that, by the way, is when you hire in-house, you have not necessarily leverage and you've certainly taken on more expense. So part of this whole conversation has to be around the cost-benefit analysis, which is you're driving a benefit to your clients, but at what cost? If I outsource it, there's no cost. Or the cost isn't necessarily financial. It may be in other areas. If I insource it, I now have a financial cost. So remember, margins are, are being compressed to some degree. And so advisors are having to think more as entrepreneurs. That's another thing I think that's coming 
more and more advisors see themselves as business owners and not in advisors. And business owners have to have a certain margin, operating margins. And the way to increase your operating margin is not to raise your price always, it's to outsource. So again, we, we see advisors who want to insource. That's a dying breed. What we're really doing, Laura, is we're focusing our attention on that group of people in your study who say, I'm already there. I'm, I'm already going to outsource. I now need to look at how do I do that? So do I have a partnership or do I have a platform? Because remember, there are a plethora of new platforms that have popped up over the last 10 years. You know, you've got InvestNets, you've got Orions, and you've got the SEIs, and you've got the Asset Marks. You've got a lot of very, very good quality platforms, but they're not all alike. Some are just basically depositories for money managers, and you have to go shopping a little bit like maybe a, a Home Depot. Others are much more concierge. And then a firm like Hanlon is, is very much like a, a, a corner hardware store. So we all have our different propositions. And this is only accelerating, by the way. This whole trend is not going to go away. COVID-19 being solved is not going to stop the trend. The trend's here. It's the new normal, if you will. Yeah, in our study, we happened to be in the field in, you know, between March and early June of 2020. And so what was interesting that we found is that 85% of advisors said that they would reassess whether or not they would use external managers. That was a huge increase from years past. You know, you've been in this business uh, like we have for a long time. I'm wondering, you know, what you think the most notable changes are that you've seen and how advisors are managing their businesses today. You might have uh, talked a little bit about that earlier, but what do you think the most powerful changes in changes are in advisors being uh, better able to monetize their business as we look at, you know, so many advisors not too far away from retirement. What are they doing now to help them get to that point where they can sell their business or succession plan? Laura, I think there's two, I think there's two things that have been paramount in our experience. Number one is, is the idea of outsourcing and, and leveraging either to uh, bring in more clients and more revenue or to bring more value of which you can charge for that value. That's number one. And number two is the, the realization that if I don't leverage my business and outsource it, I'm going to have a harder time monetizing that. Um, so for instance, if I'm insourcing all my money management and I go to sell it, most new advisors are not going to want that in sourcing. They're not going to want that, that liability. Remember, Reg BI is something we have not brought up in this conversation, but it's very much still the elephant in the room, is you have to have the client's best interest in mind. The BIC letter, the best interest letter, isn't necessarily here, but the, the concept is, so if I'm going to do what's best for my clients, the person buying my business is going to want to know what that looks like. And in sourcing probably is not necessarily that on top of it, it's, it's, there's cost structure. There's also scalability of that. Those are the two things we're seeing as, as primary outsource for leverage and time, and then outsource for the ability to monetize and get maximum value. What's ironic and would be a shame is you work 30 years in the business, you annuitize your business every year by fees, and then all of a sudden you go to sell your business and you've actually penalized the value of this very large potential asset to sell because you just haven't done what's necessary to sell it to somebody who's, who's interested. Well, Paul, time today has really flown. And frankly, you are the best analogy teller of that we've ever had on this podcast. So well done. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Laura. Very much appreciated. As we do with all our podcast guests, I'd ask that you leave our audience with two actionable ideas. 
One, what can they do today to begin creating new efficiencies? And two, what should they be thinking about in terms of deepening those client relationships? Well, let's start with the first one, David. What two actual items? I think the, the first one for me would be obvious, which is I'd pick up a phone and I would call Northern Trust and say, hey, uh, I'm reading your racist scalability study and I get everything in it. Tell me more because studies in 16 pages are not going to, it's an outline, if you will. It's not a, it's not an essay. That's number one. Number two is I'd be looking inside my practice right now and saying, you know, am I doing these things? For instance, number one, am, am I partnering? Uh, one of the questions we always ask is when you're working on your, uh, the next case with a new client, who do you turn to on your case design team? The answer usually is nobody. I turn to myself. Well, the problem with yourself is you can't, you can talk to yourself. That's fine, but you can't check and bounce back and forth with yourself. It doesn't work that way. And that's your schizophrenic. So I would say those are my two actual items. And then as far as deepening client relationships, the, the, the first one's obvious. Uh, what's interesting is when you look at us as human beings, we have a very intuitive way of communicating with each other. We don't think about it. We don't write scripts. We just do it. Uh, and it works. So I think uh, along those lines, the first thing I would do is where am I spending my day? So I would maybe do a time map of what I do in a day and a week. Where do I spend my time? If you're spending more than 5% of your time working on portfolios, rebalancing, managing, reading market materials, that thing, probably 5% too much. It's not necessary. Take that 5% or whatever that number is and reinvest it back into your relationships. I'd also say the other thing is out of sight, out of mind. I think it's uh, the Brinson Bebauer study, and maybe it was the Russ Allen Prince. Someone did studies on how many times you need to touch a high net worth client, high net worth being defined as a million dollars or more of investable net worth. And the number usually comes out over 20. So are you touching your clients 20 times a year? Are you playing golf? Are you having dinners? Are you taking them to lunches? Are you doing all those things? Because that's what's important, not the asset allocation. And, and are you 3% in alternatives or 5% or what you're doing today because the market's down? So that's how we believe you should deepen. The other side too is if you don't deepen your relationships with your client, somebody will, your competitor will, and you'll lose those clients. So you, so we are in a very competitive world where if you don't do it, somebody else will do it for you. Wow, that's great. Well, Paul, you have such great information and it has been truly a real delight to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, David. Laura, thank you very much for having thank me. Thank you. If you are an advisor and would like to know more about Hanlon Investment Management, just visit Hanlon.com. That's H-A-N-L-O-N.com. And if you would like access to more details about the race to scalability research, visit go.flexshares.com slash outsourcing. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other Flexshares podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you will find it wherever you get your podcasts. From myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor.
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.